Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, I'm really excited to hear from our guest today. Uh, Kira Anderson is an occupational therapist and she has 20 years experience, but also uh, some really interesting and in-depth tips to share with us today that I think we wouldn't have heard in previous podcasts. Yeah, so I know, welcome, Kira. We're so excited you're with us. And, you know, we're really interested in your, you kind of reached out to us and said, you know, I've got some thoughts for (laughs) the young kids sitting in front of the camera saying, I'm not interested, I'm not engaged. And maybe that kid has some sensory needs or other aspects. So I'm going to just kick it off with my first question. I'm a parent. Where do I start? What do I do when my kid wants to roll on the floor and roll up in the rug instead of look at the camera? I got some suggestions for me. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, Becky and Lisa, for having me here today. Uh, We're living in this crazy world um, full of community stress. Um, Children are hybrid. They're in person. They're virtual. They're back and forth in this land of education. And parents and teachers are both putting their hands up in the air saying, oh no, help me. We need learning. We need attention. These routines are very disrupted and new routines require a lot of adjustment. Um, So yes, Lisa, we're going to talk about the children who want to roll up in a rug and not look at the computer screen. What we're going to talk about today is an overview and practical strategies of understanding your child's sensory needs and how to address them for optimal arousal levels of learning. Um, The point is, is that parents and teachers have to be somewhat of detectives in this and understand what a child is asking for when they're rolling themselves up in a rug and not looking at the computer screen. That example, the child may be asking for some deep pressure input. They may need some calming strategies so that they can then go ahead, sit back at the screen and focus on their schoolwork. Yeah, so so uh, what do you mean by deep pressure? So uh, I hug them a bunch, I you know squeeze them between two pillows. Uh, again, I'm only laughing because you know I can think of a lot of things that might make me feel better. Like I would love to have a masseuse come in. Uh, but what are what are you talking about? What it kind of define that for our listeners? What does it mean to give some deep pressure to a kid who might need that? Yeah, absolutely. So what I want to talk about first is I'd like to provide you with a little bit of an overview of sensory processing. So teachers and parents alike both understand this a little bit more. And then we'll go into different activities that we look like when somebody is over alert or under alert, and we need to get them to that just right state for learning. Um, So to understand attention and arousal, let's take a look at sensory processing. Originally, this sensory integration theory was developed by Dr. Ayers to explain the relationship between behavior and neurofunctioning. Sensory integration is the organization of systems to produce a purposeful response to the environment. So our sensory systems, what do they include? Vision, hearing, touch, taste, our joint position sense, our balance and our movement sense. There are continual streams of all these sensations coming into our body every day in every environmental situation. As they come into our body, our brain has to organize and identify them and make sense of that for a reasonable output. So Kira, let me, let me ask you this. So sometimes when we hear the word sensory and inputs and outputs, we almost always, I think, we're conditioned to think about kids um, on the autism spectrum. But are you talking now more about things that we can think about and do with all kids? 
Absolutely. Thank you for asking that, Becky. So according to research, um, about 40 to 80% of children with developmental disabilities have some type of sensory processing dysfunction. Research also tells us that about 10 to 12% of individuals in the general population without any diagnosed disability also are identified with sensory processing difficulties. Um, the interesting thing is we can all experience difficulties with processing our sensations. Um, think about times when your environment is too hot or too cold. Are you wearing a sweater that's wooly and itchy and bothers you? What happens to your attention to task when things are negatively affecting your sensations? You can't so, concentrate. Yeah, so, so this is something then that's pretty, pretty universal um, I would guess, and I'm sure that that these kind of issues, again, they're not just they're not just things that parents are experiencing at home right now because they have their kids there all day, but they're things that for for teachers to consider too. So, what's something um, specific to like a classroom? If I know that 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 a student might be experiencing this different type of stimulation that's invisible to the rest of us, um, and this interference, what's the first thing I could do? Okay. Well, an easy way to look at it from a teacher or parent perspective, um, if we look at a teacher perspective in the classroom, we look at things in terms of over arousal or under arousal. So if we look at over arousal in the classroom, what you're going to see with children is distractibility, rushing, poor organization, difficulty following directions, excessive movement, they may become easily frustrated or even cry. So what can a teacher do if they notice these things in the classroom? They can say, okay, they are too high and we need to get that just right arousal level for learning. How can we do that? We need to do some calming and organizing strategies. So items like pushing or pulling heavy loads are actually calming and organizing strategies. As a teacher, you can ask a child who seems to be over aroused to take a box, put some books in it, and ask them to please help you by moving that box of books over to the other side of the classroom. Sometimes erasing boards, although our new smart boards do not have as much pressure as our old chalkboards, but erasing boards and that big joint movement can also be a calming activity. It might be wise for a teacher to say, okay class, let's all get up out of our seat and we're gonna do some downward dog yoga poses. And as everybody gets into that position, they're applying some good input to their joint receptors. And that can be a very calming technique to get everybody back on board again. So, if you notice that children are very under aroused, they might be slouching in their chair or leaning their head on one hand or even putting their head down on the desk during work. They may be bored lethargic, have no energy, no motivation to do the work, then the teacher might say, okay, let's get everybody excited. One way to get children excited is to play energizing music and do a little bit of dancing for five minutes. Get everybody's energy level up and then get back in the chair and back to work. 
So, so I have a question. One of the comments that I make when I'm working with teachers is always, you know, what you're looking for is that Goldilocks principle. You know, you don't want your porridge too hot and you don't want it too cold, but here's the problem. I got boiling porridge, I got freezing porridge, and I got just right porridge. And they're all either sitting in my classroom at the same time, or I'm at home and child A is engaged, child B needs to dance, and child C needs some, some pressure points downward dogs. What? How do I make that decision of when is too much and when is just right? What What is you in your background? Kind of just talk to me as a parent. What would you say to me if I gave you a concept? I got three kids and they're all three of the things you just talked about. What do I do? Just, just give me some <laughs> quick advice. As as a parent or as a teacher with a classroom full of kids on different different points of the sensory spectrum, shall we call it, um, we can have little areas broken up. So if you were a parent home with three kids, you might have a calming area for one of your children. And that children maybe climbs into a little play tent where things are a little bit darker and they can wrap themselves up in a blanket and just be in their own space for a few minutes. The and other I can child, go there too, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. We can all go there. The other child who is needs to be, you know, needs to be alerted a little bit and a little more stimulated might benefit from walking outside on the driveway and doing a little bit of a hopscotch or some kind of a jumping game and just getting their energy levels up. And then bringing them back to join that child who's just right <laughs> and getting everyone to focus on their tasks that they need to focus. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll watch the hopscotch, but I'm going to jump in the blanket and then leave the third kid alone. I mean, again, I do think that's a great example, Kara, because I do think families kind of feel like they're in that, you know, everybody needs something different. And I think that same would ring true for teachers. Would you agree? Absolutely. Completely runs through for teachers. And um, as an occupational therapist, when I did work in the public um, school setting, a lot of times we would provide in-services or go into classrooms and work with teachers on their classroom design so that they could have these options available for children. There's a calming area. You know, there's an area where children can do something that brings up their energy levels a little bit if that's needed, um, working with those ways. Um, but the main thing for both parents and teachers is to, yes, all kids are going to have different needs to realize that and to be a detective and find out those kids' needs. Because if you work a little bit with it before, they get so low level they can't work they get so high level, they're too distracted, then it can help keep their levels in more of a modulated, organized fashion. So for the child who's low level, something like crunchy snacks can be very beneficial. Keeping a little pile of carrots or crackers by their table that they can crunch on while they're working may prevent them from getting so low level that they can't focus anymore. For the, for the child who's, who needs some more calming strategies, Organizing activities can actually be chewing gum or something like taffy. So more dried apricots or those harder items that you chew on can actually calm the system down. So there's little tasks like that that can be working, worked into a child's day to help keep their level before it gets so out of hand that they can't focus. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my last question and then I'll throw it back to Becky to kind of close this out. But so one of the things I think we're going to hear from teachers from your great example of tense and all that, 
But right now at this moment, and I know this podcast will go beyond this moment, but we are not only in social distancing, but in general hygiene. So let's imagine we're not in, I, I was the teacher who had the whole class that got lice. And I can just tell you that, you know, still today, when I hear about a tent, a kid will go in with a blanket. I'm like, not in my room, unless it's, you know, a plastic blanket with a plastic, you know. So how do we do that in this new norm we have right now, but even going forward to keep things sanitary? You have any quick tips there for for teachers? Absolutely. That is such a good question. Thank you for bringing that up, Lisa. Um, So tents, not appropriate right now. Anything where children aren't socially distanced, not appropriate right now. What can be done that's appropriate now? Um, Pulling a bag of um, books across the classroom to get heavy input. Asking parents to provide, if the children is an in-school child, asking parents to provide those types of snacks that a child can keep that help them to organize themselves. Um, Things like chair push-ups, have you guys ever heard of chair push-ups, can also be very calming and that's done in a child's own personal space without touching anybody else's stuff. Um, Those might be some ideas. Getting outside to the playground is also very, very important. Making sure that the class is having enough time to get out there and play because frequently kids will seek out what they need, whether it's swinging like crazy, whether it's hanging on the monkey bars or going down the slide, the children usually choose what their bodies need in order to organize. One other thing to keep in mind is typically attention spans are two to three minutes per year of age. Some people say it's a little higher, but we can say two to three minutes. So if somebody is five years old, we're talking 10 to 15 minutes of attention span. And that's really important for both parents and teachers to keep in mind. So they may need these breaks and these sensory breaks can be built into fun. You know, um, even a child at home, let's say they need to carry a heavy bag of groceries, they can help their parent, their mom or their dad, and they can organize the groceries to what's cold, what's pantry, to according to cans of soup or vegetables or things like that. And that all goes into the learning process. So those breaks, whether they're in the classroom or whether they're at home during learning time, aren't getting that child away from learning. It's a part of the learning process. And Kira, my, my final question, we, we've talked and you've given us some great strategies that, um, that people can use, I know with kids of all ages, but the way that they're being described are a little younger. So let's think about some older kids for a minute and, you know, um, and how we might bring them into the process of self-advocating to meet those kind of needs for themselves. What would you say to parents or teachers of older kids so that there's a good Uh, there's a good method for students to get what they need, even if that teacher or parent doesn't recognize it because older kids sometimes don't show their hand as much as as younger kids do. You are correct. Great question, Becky. Um, So self-advocating is so important because that's when the needs really get met. Um, One of the techniques that's used for both younger and older kids is identifying, is your engine too fast, too slow, or just right? And that's taken from something known as the alert program. And when children are taught this young, it tends to stick there and carries on. So for a child who's older, a high school school age child, they may be sitting at their computer working on their chemistry homework or something like that. And and they just want to explode. You know, I'm done and I can't do it. And maybe somehow they explode. 
instead of explosion, they also can identify my engine is too high. I need to calm down. I need to be able to go outside and run around or get on my bike for 10 or 15 minutes um, or do something that's going to get me back to being able to sit and focus on my chemistry homework. Any last things you want to share with us before we wrap up today? Um, I just don't want to make sure we don't miss anything that you kind of think folks just need as, as kind of your closing thoughts. No. Closing thoughts. Um, I just do want to make sure that I mention a lot of times we see negative behaviors as a result of out of whack arousal levels. So those negative behaviors can be anything such as hitting or yelling or throwing things, behaviors that we do not, you know, wish to see in children and are not appropriate. Um, these behavior levels can also be moderated through the use of sensory um, skills, right? So teaching a child that instead of yelling or crying because my work is too difficult, ask for that break. What can I do differently? Do I need to you know, go dig in the dirt for a few minutes? Do I need to eat something that's hard and chewy to calm me down? Um, you know, do I need to suck some applesauce up through a straw to just calm my whole system down? Um, so arousal level is definitely related to behavior. So if parents or teachers are seeing negative behaviors, work on arousal level, be that detective, help the child to figure out what calms them down and puts them into a state of optimal learning. And I love it because all I can think about, Kira, is, you know, I want to go back to my son's school when he was in third grade and say it was your slide uh, in second grade, actually, because he got in trouble all the time for throwing rocks down the metal slide because it made the best sound. Oh, yeah. Definitely knew it was sensory input need. But but I laugh because they kept saying and he's doing it again. And he's doing it again. And I'm like, and you should probably not have a metal slide with rocks next to it for all little boys on the planet. But anyway, so it's a good example of, of understanding that behavior in the relationship to sensory needs. So thank yes. you for such great insight. And folks, if you have questions for us, please uh, post them on our Facebook uh, and under Practical Access or send us a, a tweet at Access Practical. Uh, thank you for joining us. And thank you, Kara. We really enjoyed all your wonderful tips. Thanks. Thank you for having me.